eavesdropping is welcome on the desert's best conversations with Charlie Dyer. It's common knowledge that the best teams are more than just the people that make up those teams, but actually working together in a collaborative way can be very challenging. And so often success eludes those teams. Well, studies and stats show passionate, hardworking people consistently outperform teams. But there are a small number of dream teams that buck those trends and manage to pull off amazing things together well beyond what any single person can do. So how can you be a better team player? Is there a secret sauce? Well, we've welcomed Shane Snow to Conversations on iHub Radio with Charlie Dyer, me. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, thank you, Charlie. The book is Dream Teams, Working Together Without Falling Apart. Shane is a science and business journalist. He's the co-founder of Contently, one of Inc.'s fastest growing companies and cranes and ad ages, best places to work in America. I'd like to work there. (laughs) His writing (laughs) has appeared in The New Yorker, Wired, The Washington Post, Fast Company, Time, and GQ. You get the picture. He writes a lot. His first book was a bestseller, Smart Cuts, and he's taken it all over the world talking about innovation and lateral thinking. Check out his website, shanesnow.com, and Shane is S-H-A-N-E. Well, let's learn a little bit more about you and your background and you, how you came to co-found Contently. Well, were you applying what you know about things like group collaboration, lateral thinking, and the breakthrough progress and putting that company together? So my not-so-secret secret is my trainings in journalism. And when I started this company, it was at first it was to help other journalists, and then it turned into this big content company. But I, my secret was I used reporting as an excuse to learn things that could help me with my company. So I'd written a lot about science and, uh, and tech, and I started doing a bunch of writing, contributing to the magazines that I, I contributed to while running this company about leadership and about innovation, things that I was trying to get better at. So my first book was, was mostly about the innovation thing, and, uh, and what Dream Teams came from was realizing that my job had gone from, you know, as a founder of the company, it had gone from the guy who makes all the decisions and who comes up with the great ideas and who does stuff and builds stuff. I was no longer that guy after a few years. I was the guy who figures out who to hire and helps them to not fight with each other and gives them the information so they can make decisions and build stuff and do things. And I was insecure about that. I was anxious about that because it's a very different job. And... I wanted to know first, who, what, what are the attributes of the kind of leader that can get the most out of their team? So I interviewed you know, leaders that I admired. I took a bit of a tour of history of, uh, of really cool teams and, and tried to figure out what they did. And what I started discovering is that the, the kinds of teams that change the world or change their worlds or blow our minds, the, the kinds of teams that we all kind of were promised we would have if we did the right things uh, that, you know, are more than the sum of their parts or the, you know, the ragtag group of misfits that saves the day, um, you know, that are the good guys against the overwhelming odds. These teams have patterns and attributes and things that they do that are kind of really different than what we're told to do when it comes to teamwork. And a lot of the business wisdom that we've had for years and years turns out is either totally wrong or kind of wrong. Well, based you, on 
new science or based on just looking at history. Well, you were certainly an entrepreneur to start a company because that is something that that takes a lot of effort by an individual. And uh, you actually had one of the worst days of your life. Uh, that you write about in Dream Teams, you know, and you you kind of had this team called Resuscitate Shane that helped you pr- pr- pull through that. You were at the peak of your success, but also at a really low point in your life. So what did you learn about yourself going through that challenging time? It was a time when I, yeah, the, the worst days of my life. I was seeing all this great success in my career, kind of turning points in the company. My first book had just come out, and that had been a dream of mine forever. And I found myself in this really awful situation that I never thought I would have, which was on the heels of a cancer diagnosis, which turned out to be just a scare. And, you know, thank God uh, was did not end up being the worst, but uh, but freaked me out and made me think about, you know, life and death. And uh, on the heels of that, I, uh, my, my wife asked for a divorce, and we were still young. We got married real young, and uh, you know, so I was still in my 20s. And, and the negotiations went such that I could not afford an apartment for a few months. I couldn't afford the deposit and first and last month's rent in New York for an apartment. So on the outside, I had this successful company that's making lots of money, employing lots of people, my personal career and profile is shooting up with uh, you know all the stuff that I'm doing and, and my new book, and yet I am homeless, and I was really embarrassed about this and also really hurting you know because these were hard things to be dealing with, and I didn't tell anyone about it for a while. I didn't tell my parents for like a month and a half, and about either of these things. And I didn't tell my business partners for a few weeks. I, I told my assistant to cancel. Uh, all of my meetings for a couple of weeks and then just kind of didn't really give her many details. And so I was sort of bouncing around on people's couches with kind of flimsy backstories. And eventually I started opening up, but not really. And I didn't ask people for help really, or people offered help and they, I didn't take it. And to the point where I found myself, you know, passing out on subway cars and uh, sleeping on park benches or sleeping in the office, depending (laughs) on where I was at the end of the night, and it's just sort of this crazy juxtaposition, and I was super depressed, and uh, you know, I, I didn't know, you know, a if I was going to live, and b if I wanted to live, and uh, and it was really hard. And so, team resuscitate Shane. You know, I finally, after you know, after a few years, have written about this, but it basically was a, a few people in my life who managed to crack the shell that I had built around me, and get me to open up and get me to accept help. And, uh, you know, one is, uh, was a dear friend who is now passed away, who's a reporter for the New York Times, who he was the guy that got me to finally kind of spill the beans. And he would call me, you know, every day or every couple of days to check in on me. And, uh, and I, I discovered just the overwhelming amount of love that's out there, you know, in humanity and, you know, and, and among my, my friends who are all waiting to help. I was too embarrassed to ask for help. I, was, I thought that maybe I could get through it and, uh, you know, get to the other side of it and then uh, not be embarrassed. And, and I was feeling like weirdly like, you know, my family looked up to me and people were starting to look up to me or my employees looked up to me. So I couldn't let on that I could not do this on my own. And, you know, I think in there is a, an important lesson that for me, but I think kind of for everyone that we talk about collaborating, about teamwork, about working together. 
it's not just about solving problems at work or you know doing business stuff. It's actually something that we need to accomplish or get through anything in life. And and the the myth that we can do it on our own is exactly that. It's a myth. And you you do write about that in Dream Teams that uh, we can apply it to personal relationships, to you know everyday work, business, and charitable causes, to our own communities, and and broadly to, you know to the world it's, itself, which is. It you know, seems sort of grandiose when you say it out loud, but thinking that dream teams are rare, do you really think anybody can catch that lightning in a bottle and, and just apply these same scientific methods to their own dream team? I do. I think that everything great that humanity has ever accomplished is because people work together in amazing ways, and everything that threatens us whether in our personal lives, our work, or, you know, at sort of an international level, is because people can't get along or can't get past their differences. So there, there's, a, you know, an underlying formula that I propose leads to dream teams, leads groups of humans to be, you know, more incredible than the sum of their parts. And the formula is that, first of all, you need different ways of thinking, and you need those ways of thinking to combine. So the whole thing, two heads are better than one, not true if those heads think the same. They are as good as one. Um, and in fact, they might fight a little bit, so they might be worse than one. But two different heads can be smarter than one if they combine. And so the formula is get different ways of thinking. And, and I map out all the different ways that you can identify this and, and how it kind of works at the brain science level. Get people who think differently. Get them to engage in what's called cognitive friction which is basically your ideas do battle, your ways of thinking have to, to smash together, and then add a sprinkle of what's called intellectual humility, which is basically the fancy way of saying being able to respect other ways of thinking and to change your mind when you need to, and to not have your ego kind of prevent you from doing that. And all of that is hard. All of that is hard. But if you imagine applying that kind of formula to, say, Congress, Congress, we have a lot of people who think very differently about things. Great. Potential energy. The battle that they can then have with their ideas right now, a lot of that battle is about destroying the other side and posturing so that you, your side can win. But if the battle actually was about finding third options and finding better ways of doing things by combining our different ways of thinking, that would be cool. And then it's all for nothing if no one's willing to say, you know what, you're right, let's do something differently. If everyone's too stubborn to change, then it's not going to work. But if that kind of dynamic was going on in Congress, can you imagine the progress that we could make? And, then, and you know, it, it does take getting the right people. And maybe at that point we assess, hey, what's the optimal mix of people we want to elect into this group so that they can make breakthroughs? But I, I think you can really apply that formula to any size of group and even to, to like a marriage. You know, uh, agreeing on everything is nice, but if you, you want to build something – than actually giving yourselves the permission to be different and to talk about that and to come up with wonderful new things together and respect the differences and change your minds. I mean, that sounds like a great formula for a marriage, if you ask me. Well, Shane, you write that uh, people are physically built for collaboration in dream teams, and you know, building a dream team is not just a random thing, and, and that these new discoveries that you've been talking about in psychology and neuroscience in recent years are really helping us to uh, work together better. Talk about those discoveries a little bit more and, and 
how we actually discovered them, you know, and how they are really turning these long-held beliefs that we have about working in teams just completely uh, upending them. So there's a lot of features that humans have that allowed us to survive and early on and to win planet Earth. You know, we won. And the reason, one of the reasons that we won is because we can make a range of vocal sounds that no other animal can, right? We can communicate in ways that monkeys can't. Another thing that we have, we have these great brains that not only can they think, you know, smarter, do logic at, at a higher order, but they can mirror each other's emotions and care about people and empathize with people. So you see someone that's in trouble and your heart will race and your brain will tell you that you need to help. Um, someone that you care about. And uh, even the whites of our eyes are, are bigger than other primates, which means when I'm looking at something, you can kind of tell what it is and you can help me out with it. All these little features that kind of add up to humans being really built for collaborating. But some of those features actually today prevent us from collaborating well. So when we were living you know, around campfires, at a certain point, the biggest threat we had was not the weather and it wasn't the saber-toothed tiger it was that other group of people down there who don't look like us. Um, they could attack us and kill us and, you know, and take our food. And so our brains developed this fear of people who don't look and sound or behave or think like us. Well, now today, fast forward, our brains have all of this stuff built in, and yet we live on top of each other. You know, we have the Internet. We can now connect with people. And our technology is such that we can build tools that are really powerful that can hurt us really badly. And so our natural instincts to be wary of each other, of people who aren't like us, actually kind of become scarier because we can now nuke each other rather than just you know, hit each other with rocks. And also, uh, we need each other. You know, the, we've, we've caught wind of this idea, and, and this is one of the, kind of the breakthroughs, is um, professors of uh, complex systems have actually made mathematical proofs about how different perspectives and predictive models and heuristics, different ways, things that our brains can do when they combine can make a group of people much more smart than, uh, than a really smart person. And, uh, and that's cool. But what it means is we need these people who our brains are a little bit afraid of. And, uh, and so the, the breakthroughs of late that have been really cool in psychology are things around how can you become less afraid of someone who's not like you so that you can be able to collaborate with them better? Um, and how can you depressurize a situation where there's fear? Those are sort of my favorite aspects of this. Well, Shane, you take a look at a lot of different things throughout history in dream teams, not just from the neuroscience and the scientific side, but you also look at things that are from and not a warm and fuzzy side either. You start with an example of the Soviets in hockey, is that a similar thing to the Wright brothers' daily arguments, where that teaches us about group problem solving? I, I, yeah, it's, it actually is quite similar. The concept underlying it, mm-hmm. that this friction. So the Wright brothers, yeah, there were a lot of people trying to create the airplane, and they did it, and with fewer resources, only two of them, and it was because they had this daily ongoing argument. They'd be working on a problem, and they would would force themselves to get really into the argument to get you know, to argue really hard. And then what they would do is they'd have lunch, they'd eat their sandwiches, and then they would switch sides of the argument. So Wilbur had to argue Orville's side and vice versa. And this was their little method of kind of stoking the flames of, uh, you know, of the debate 
while removing uh, sort of the personal aspect of it. They, they weren't trying to win. They were trying to push the ideas forward. And, and I think they could get kind of heated because they were brothers. They loved each other. They, you know, they weren't scared of, uh, of it going too far. But that little trick, it's actually something that we can do. You know, you're, you're having a debate about something. Uh, ask people to switch sides or ask yourself to take the other side and then push yourself on doing that. And you'd be amazed what we have in us but uh, but but also, yeah, it's counterintuitively. It's not how well we get along that leads us to uh, innovation. It's how well we can fight, and the fight doesn't have to be what we would normally think of as a fight. You know, the kind that leads to hurt feelings. But it, if it's a fight about ideas or way of doing things, that's really interesting. And one of the uh, interesting juxtapositions you have in Dream Teams here is two completely different teams that you uh, have together where Daimler Chrysler, a huge corporation, flops, and the Wu-Tang Clan, a, a rap group, <laughs> succeeds. So I love that comparison of the two. I, that, that one was a really fun chapter to <laughs> put together. But it's, it's sort of the, the case of the, the greatest merger of all time that everyone thought was going to be the most amazing company because all this potential, all these differences between these two companies worth a ton of money that just went down in flames as this case study of, you know, of a horrible business thing gone wrong. And then you have what on the face of it looked like you know, the thing that would never succeed, these nine guys from Staten Island and Brooklyn, these alpha males from different gangs, drug dealers who had beef with each other, decide to make a rap group. And, you know, nine people in a rap group is already crazy. And they went on to become the Wu-Tang Clan and to change music history and, uh, and you know, sell 75 million albums between them all and, uh, and influence, you know, all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, the whole story behind it is, is really fun and fascinating. But the difference between this group that looked like it wasn't going to work, that did work, and this, you know, merger that looked like it was going to work that really didn't, the difference is kind of what we're talking about. It's this, uh, this idea of organizational silence is what psychologists call it. They said that Daimler Chrysler failed because people were so scared of the conflict between the Germans and the Americans, different ways of thinking and building cars, that they uh, didn't engage. They, they kind of hid from each other. They didn't, uh, they didn't mix the companies. And this only led to more fear and, uh, and less things getting done and this company starting to lose talent and, and it, it all crumbled down. Whereas the Wu-Tang Clan, they had a lot of friction. You know, they had this great competition where kind of how they, they channeled it is they, the, the kind of the main leader would say, all right, here I have this uh, music I've made for this song. Everyone come prepared to compete for who gets to be on the song. Whoever has the best lyrics gets to be on the song this time. So they actually kind of stoked this uh, friction that led them to push each other to do amazing work, all in service of the team. But they got in arguments, they got in fights. In the beginning, they brought guns to the record, to the Ooh. recording studio. <laughs> um, you could see how that would be scary, but they were not scared, which is what's awesome. And they, you know, despite it all, they became a family that was able, like the Wright brothers, to scrap and to not be worried about their place in the family. And so they could could speak up with everything they got and that helped them to get really far whereas Daimler Chrysler employees and even executives even the CEOs felt like they couldn't speak what they thought because they were worried about what would happen and that turns out was the problem 
Well, you provide a little uh, cheat sheet in the book, which is also uh, a little bit deeper on your website, That uh, a part of an afterword from uh, Sheryl Sandberg and, and Adam Grant. So you at least can take things away in little bite-sized pieces here, if you like, along with the stories in Dream Teams. And I always like having uh, some, some homework, you know, to, to do when you've got mm-hmm. a book. And you've got it sort of nice and bite-sized here. So give us just a couple things you think from the cheat sheet that uh, people should really take away and try to apply, even in their home life, whether it's a work environment, regardless? Yeah, I think the, my favorite thing that's actionable from that is this idea of when, we're, when we think about teams, especially at work, but we often think we, the team is the people that we've got, and whatever the new thing is that we're facing, we've got to use that same team. But I like to actually think of teamwork as the analogy of a filmmaker who's making a movie. And you're making a movie, it comes time to cast the people who are going to act in it. When you do that, you don't cast the same people as the last movie, unless you're making the same movie, right? And usually those sequels don't do as well. If you're trying to make something that's artistic, that's groundbreaking, that's awesome, that's novel, you're going to think really hard about who you cast in the movie. And you're also not going to cast the 20 actors with the best GPAs from the best school, you're going to find the most interesting combination of people who can bring out the best in each other. And I think that's the same thing, way that we should analyze anything that we want to work on as a team. You know, there's sort of this two-step process. Ask yourself, is this something novel? Are we trying to do something new? Or are we trying to do something that's already been done before? If it's something that's new, then ask yourself, well, what's the cast of people that's going to be the, the perfect people to solve this problem? And even just that is just so transformative in, in my own work. But it, it's so different than what we usually do, which is, all right, let's get the gang back together and get in a conference room and, you know, and decide what to do. Or I'm going to call my same three friends and ask them what it is. Being more deliberate about who we're including in our process is uh, – and, and just thinking of ourselves as a, as a film director trying to do something great rather than kind of how we normally think of ourselves as a manager or as a wrangler or something. Well, Shane Snow is our guest here on Conversations on iHub Radio. Thank you so much for being here today to talk about dream teams working together without falling apart. The website is shanesnow.com. His first name is spelled S-H-A-N-E. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, it's my pleasure. <laughs> 